Welcome to episode five of Shark Bites, a Throwdown Thursday production. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and I am today joined by filmmaker and all-around awesome dude uh, from It Came From The 508 Productions, uh, James Lamont. James, how you doing today? I'm pretty fantastic. How about you today, Pat? How you doing? Um, I've felt better. I, uh, I had to skip Rhode Island Comic Con this weekend because I'm just <coughs> just not doing well. Oh man, that's that sucks. That yeah, sucks. there were there were some folks I wanted to meet, uh, not just like celebrities. I'm talking like you know people that I've interacted with online that I haven't had a chance to actually meet in person. But oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I guess we'll have to wait for the next one. There's always another one. There's always another. One. There is, and uh, speaking of another one, uh, we have another uh, another event coming up this Saturday that uh, we've been talking about quite a bit, and I know you and I have been talking about off off the air, and uh, that is the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. I keep I keep going back and forth between horror festival and film festival, forgetting that it's it is a film festival, but it's called the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. So. If folks have been uh, confused by that, that's uh, that's entirely my fault. But I've been sharing the posts, and uh, you heard the new ad that I made for you that we'll be playing later on. Oh the yeah, show. oh yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I love it. I appreciate that. I just wanted to, uh, you know, every year after on November first, so right after Halloween, I always post that uh, Rambo video that nothing is over <laughs> because this year know, it's true. I mean, with us, uh, like it says in the ad and on the uh, event page, we live the horror life all year long. Mm-hmm. So Indeed. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what it is that you do, and uh, what Dead of Autumn means to you. Okay. Um, so as Pat said, I'm James Lamont. I am the head son of a bitch in charge. It, it came from Flyaway Productions, for lack of a better term. Um I make horror movies, uh, really, is what it comes down to. Uh, you know, hopefully people like them. <laughs> but what 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 happened was we had a new movie coming out called The Box, and I wanted to do something a little with a little more uh, panache, a little a, a get something a little more exciting going for a premiere than just you know go rent out a theater and do the, the usual song and dance. So, I mean, we've made a ton of, I don't even want to say colleagues, friends. We, we've made a bunch of friends in our local, like, you know, New England horror film community. And I basically just came down to, well, why don't we just bring everybody along? And <clears throat> that's basically what Dead of Autumn is. We're getting 10 films for 10 bucks, two world premieres from us, um, we were also premiering Jeremy Joseph Aruda's Strawberry Lane that night. And it's just going to be a great time because we really, another thing that I was really adamant about was this was a unique experience. We're bringing a little bit of the convention vibe. We're bringing the film festival vibe. There's arcade games. There's a full bar. It's just something, it, it, it wanted something that was more engaging on a wider scale than just your usual film festival and 
I think we're pulling it off. It, it, it certainly looks awesome. Um, and it's going to be a really, I, I, I think this is going to be a really fun time. And the most important thing to me about Dead Autumn is audience centric. It is very, it was, it's very important to us that people come in and have a good time. No matter what they're doing, it, they have a good time. If you're bored at Dead of Autumn, I, I think you're lying. Basically is what it comes down to. Now, for the folks who are unfamiliar, uh, this is going to be held at Platinum City Gaming, and that is uh, a really fun venue. We had a, a little a little uh, event there, the uh, Halloween Happenings, uh, put on by BMG Events, who is also uh, helping put this on. Yes, and yes. When we walked in, when Ashes and I walked in, we saw this place, like, there are VR pods for various games like they have every console you can think of you know bubble hockey there was a, a goddamn bounce house in there like i i don't think that's going to be up for the uh, the film festival. It, it won't but just <laughs> to give you an idea of like the type of environment you're walking into uh mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun it's it's a big enough space but it's also at the same time it's intimate enough where you know you're not going to have to worry about you know, hearing or, or having a good sight line. Um, one of the things that I think is really cool, like you said, you know, it's 10 films for $10. But these aren't, obviously, these aren't feature-length films. You know, the majority no, of these no, are no. shorts because, you know, we don't want people thinking that they have to sit there for 20 hours. No, no absolutely I mean, not. that would be a hell of a deal. But, uh, mm-hmm. no, I think the longest film is is uh, is the box, and that's that clocks in around, what, 35 minutes or so? About thirty six, about thirty six, and we we are the longest. Um, but everything else, there's one more that's like in our in our weight class, if you will. Yeah. Then everything else kind of teeters between twenty to ten, with a couple of like micro shorts in there too. Yeah, like uh, our buddy Alex DiVincenzo is is uh, his short, uh, the misplaced. That's only a few minutes long. I've I've had a chance to yes. see that. Yes. Um, yes. And I don't know if. Uh, if you know this, but there's a a, a big celebrity that's going to be there, uh, the boom mic operator for uh, for the misplaced. Uh, my friend uh, Brandon Powers is going to be there. So oh, uh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's 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 high end celebrity stuff that we're talking here. <laughs> now, oh, now I, I mean we do have one celebrity coming. <laughs> I was I was teeing you up for it. Yeah. So, um, our friend Marcus Slavine from Into the Labyrinth out of New York City had the pleasure of working with Terry Alexander from Day of the Dead. Yes. He, he, fantastic talent. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. He does an amazing job in The Last Call, which is Marcus's film. And he did an amazing job in Day of the Dead, as we know. He will actually be in attendance for Dead of Autumn for which, the screening. Which is super yeah. cool. Super cool. Super cool. Like, not in a million years would I have thought we, that that would have happened, but that's incredible. And I have to give a big shout-out to Marcus for uh, bringing him down, or up, depending. I mean, they're coming from New York. Over. <laughs> it's some Bringing them to the, the show. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this because, you know, um, there are very few people who have seen the box, and when I posted about it the other day on social media, there was some clear confusion because um, <clears throat> a lot of people are like, oh, I love this movie. I've seen it. I've owned it for years. It's like, 
how did you do that? I think you're thinking of something else. Because they were, they were. There was a semi-mediocre film from like the early 2000s called The Box. Um, I feel like our film was a different enough, I think, um, that we could definitely differentiate, especially with like the promotional art and stuff like that. So I wasn't really too worried about that. But yeah, I, I mean, some people are going to be like, oh, I saw that. It was great. And it's like, wait, no, I don't think you've seen this one. <laughs> and that's what I, I kept saying to people. I'm like, how have you seen this? Like, did you, because you just uh, released the Blu-rays at Rock and Shock. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, and, that was very small. And if, very small. And if you didn't buy them at Rock and Shock, you haven't seen the movie yet. No, there, it's, it's not, it's not anywhere right now. Right. Um, on purpose, obviously. Right. And I mean, and we really just did the, the, the Blu-rays for Rock and Shock for our friends from out of town that weren't going to be there for Dead of Autumn. And like for you guys, and, you know, stuff like that. So people could get it and actually get their hands on it if they weren't going to make it to Dead of Autumn. Because there were some people we knew absolutely were not going to make it. Right. So Yeah, it's, it's tough, especially with, you know, October and November. Um, like we've been, you know, saying on on our on our on both shows, on this show and on on uh, th- Throwdown Thursday, we've been saying like how busy our schedules have been. Where it's like mm-hmm. every single weekend there has been an event, and you know, like I mentioned earlier, I I just got too sick and I wasn't able. You know, I had to miss an episode of Shark Bites, um, and then mm-hmm. I wasn't able to attend uh, Rhode Island Comic Con this weekend, and. I'm really bummed about that because, you know, that's one of the the better shows to go to. You know, it's huge. There's so much to do. I always run into people that I don't get to see all that often. And, you know, there were some folks I was looking forward to meeting and I just didn't have a chance because I just I couldn't do it. Um, I I generally try to hit Comic-Con for at least one day. I mean, I don't really look at that as a business thing, though. It's more just a fun thing. See, I look at it as as fifty fifty because like I get a lot of content from there, and I you know I try to talk to as many people as I can, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, visit some of the vendors, you know, basically the same stuff that I, I like to do at Rock and Shock, you know, and that's how I've met so many different people, and you know, there, are, <clears throat> I just I couldn't do it. I slept till two in the afternoon yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's tough, especially this time of year. Coming right off of uh, October, like October's tough, especially. I mean, anybody, anybody in this gig, anybody in the horror community is usually by Halloween is pretty Halloween down. Yeah, <laughs> you're pretty wiped out. I mean, and so we've got, you know, this coming weekend on the ninth, we've got you know the dead of autumn, mm-hmm. uh, and then next week is Super Mega Fest. And the week after yeah. that, we've got uh, another event. It's totally not a cult meeting. And then the week after <laughs> that, it's you know Thanksgiving and Black Friday, and we have a concert that weekend. And yeah, it's, it's Wicked Weekend it's, in December in in, uh, in Connecticut. <clears throat> so there's that convention. So there's just something every single weekend. Like, yeah, it never stops, man. It never stops. You know, and then you got to try to. You know, do your your normal work stuff, your life stuff, and you know it's 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 a tough balancing act. But you know, somehow we we all make it we all make it work. We all hustle to entertain the masses. Now, tell me a little bit about uh, some of the special events that are going on uh, in addition to watching the the uh, 
the films, there's also a few other uh, extracurricular activities going on at the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. So why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Well, okay. So in addition to the films, we've got, obvious, obviously, we have Terry coming. Um, there's 15 vendors. Um, like, like I said, we're trying to bring some of that convention vibe to the film festival. And there's just some really great stuff. I mean, if you guys do the con scene, you'll, you'll, you'll see some familiar faces. But there's also some really unique stuff. There's a tarot card reader coming, um, Frightfully Clean, which is like the coolest little horror soap shop you've ever seen in your life. We'll be selling stuff there. We're going to have food, like actual whole meal, not just snacks and stuff. Oh, that I didn't know. Oh yeah, no. Well, this was this was kind of a late addition. We just we just kind of got the confirmation on that like last week. So I didn't want to say anything to anybody and make promises we couldn't keep. But yeah, that's got, that's locked in. So there's going to be like real food, chicken tenders, mozzarella sticks, like the, the oh, that's good the, stuff. Good stuff. Um, the bar, like I said, the full bar, um, bunch of drink specials going on. Games. I mean, Christ! This is every console you could possibly imagine. There's a there's gonna be a photo op area if, if people want to go for that. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, um, I have the uh, the the list up here for uh, who the vendors are. So obviously, it came from the 508 Productions. Obviously. Yeah, I'll be selling my stuff. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> shirts, movies. You know, because you've also got uh, one last kill, which is. The uh, first, the box is the second movie in the Ties That Bind series. Yes, yes. So don't call it a sequel. Don't call it a sequel. It's, it's a, a series of films. Yeah. So yes. you have they're all tied together by a common thread. So yeah. You've got sure. you've got uh, one last kill. Then you've got uh, the box, and then you've got another film that you're is pr- I would say pre-production, pre-pre-production. Super pre-production. Yes. Let's call it super pre-production. But the, the final, the finale, if you will. Yeah. So there's you guys, there's Happenstance Horror Festival, Boombastic Films, Mad Z Productions, Lockbridge Productions, Throwdown Thursday Podcast. I hear uh, they're pretty great. They're cool people. I like them. It's great. You should have them on the show. I should. That would be a, that would be an interesting, uh, <laughs> that would be an interesting uh, conversation. Uh, Paintlands. Viking Creative Studios, Aaron Wuchik, who uh, we know him. We were actually located right next to him at uh, Scaricon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool. He gave us a uh, because they didn't have uh, enough tables for everybody, so we had the small table that we brought. And he's like, "Oh, I have a bigger table. Why don't you take my table? You know, I'll I'll share my table with you." So he was really cool. Uh, Mike Doherty, Federation Mm -hmm. Comics. Truly outrageous jewelry, which uh, Ash has picked up some stuff from that from them at Rock and Shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sad Girl City, I am not familiar with them at all. She, um, it's a girl named Lynn. She actually works with Federation Comics. She sells uh, horror themed like coffin boxes. Oh, nice. Okay, so yeah, I've, I've, I've cool. probably seen her at different cons before. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, Frightfully doubt clean. It. We know them. We love them. We, uh, I picked up. The uh, the shark and the uh, alien egg from them at uh, Rock and Shock because of course I did. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, the tarot card reader Kelly Eve that you mentioned and homemade sin, and I don't know 
who they are, but I'm imagining they make sinful homemade products. I would imagine. Um, oh, that's actually that's my friend Rhonda. Um, oh, okay. She does she does an array of stuff. Um, nice. But you're you're on the right idea. You're on the right concept. Evil homeless. Let's put it that way. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But yeah, that, that's a friend of mine, Rhonda. Hi, Rhonda, if you're listening. But yeah, no, she's she's incredibly talented. All the vendors, um, everything's top shelf. You know what I mean? Like all these guys like put put their heart and soul and everything from the filmmakers to the to the you know the soap, the homewares, like the artists. Like it's just you could you would not go wrong buying anything from any of these guys because they're all just awesome. Yeah, and it's not like you know you're gonna look at something that's like oh what is that oh that's six hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, no, no, okay. absolutely not. There's, there's a, there's also, I mean, it was really important to me, um, specifically, that this be something that's accessible to everyone. If that it's something like maybe you can't afford, like you want to go to Rhode Island Comic Con or you want to go to Rock and Shock, but you can't afford the ticket. Understandable, to be honest, the economy's not great. You want to buy stuff from the vendors, but some of the vendors charge upwards of like. $700 for an item or 40 bucks for a pop or something, which rightfully so it's a collector's market. And if that's the case, they have to spend, but I really focused on this being something that somebody could come out and have a good time and not regret what, how empty their wallet is the next day. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, again, you know, talking about, uh, Aaron Wuchik and I really hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, <laughs> He he was a he's a guy who's a, a really good artist. Uh, he does a lot of watercolor work, and yeah, yeah. you see some of his stuff, and it's like, wow, this is brilliant, this is great. And then you find out that he's colorblind as well. Holy crap! Yeah, um, you look at some of his work, and he's like, yeah, I'm actually colorblind, which is why I use a lot of you know blacks and grays and stuff. And it's like, you would not know that, <clears throat> but it's mm-hmm. one of those cool things that you know we you know we learned about. Because we were booth neighbors at Scaricon. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the camaraderie you kind of look for in a convention setting. You know, mm-hmm. Everybody becomes friends or family even on some level. And I'm just trying to bring that to the, to the masses on a, on, a, on a more affordable budget. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the way everything is set up, like, this is going to be a, a, a really fun time. And obviously we'll be doing some live stuff from there. Absolutely, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So I want to talk. Uh, I want to shift a little bit to you okay. know the main focus of the uh, the the horror festival because I mean the big reason to do this is to premiere your film, The Box. Yes. yes. Now we met a couple of years ago at Rock and Shock, and because you know, like I've said probably a million times at this point. I like supporting independent uh, artists, whether they be filmmakers or, you know, actual artists, you know, whatever you happen to be doing, if you're independent and, you know, you're looking for a, a newer audience, I'm there to help, you know, promote what you've got. And we ended up, we, uh, we came over to you and we were chatting about who your favorite universal monster was and your favorite werewolf transformation and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we picked up the, the box on, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. We picked up one last kill, and I got that autographed box poster. Yes, you did. Um, did. And I picked it up on on DVD, and I hadn't watched it for 
ever. And then we uh, we connected again at Scaricon briefly. Mm-hmm. We did, yes. And then uh, you know we started like talking a lot more. And then uh, what the hell was it? The uh, Halloween in the summer. Yeah, is when yeah, we that, first started talking was... about this. Mm-hmm. And, Indeed. Uh, <clears throat> This was already getting. This was already kind of in the oven. Yeah, Halloween <laughs> in the summer. And I finally was able to watch the movie. Ended up buying uh, uh, one last kill on Blu-ray this time. Yes, I like having multiple copies of you know various films. So I finally got a chance to watch it, and I really liked. It. I was really looking forward to seeing the box, and we finally just watched the box over the weekend because we'd been watching a lot of stuff for specifically for the podcast. So we finally mm-hmm. got a chance to watch it. And I really liked it. Like you were able to pack a lot of storytelling elements into a 35 36 minute film. Yes. Like it was something like you know, I've seen movies where they have, you know, like similar elements or, you know, similar story beats, but they take so long and pad out the story with so much you know just Fluff. Superfluous bullshit. Yes, for the for lack of a better word. Yes. I agree. Super, superfluous bullshit. <laughs> and it's just like it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why is this here? You could cut this out. And it's like, well, but if I cut it out, it's not a feature length film. It's like, all right, well, if you're not going for feature length in the first place, you know, then it doesn't matter. If you're just trying to tell a good story, then just tell the good story. But I guess that's <clears throat> I, go ahead no but I was going to say that's exactly it, it, it's, it the length is irrelevant right because I don't I hope so a lot of, the length the length of your to me the length of our films is irrelevant oh length of films okay yeah what, what we do is we shoot and we shoot and shoot and shoot and we shoot as much as we can and then later on um, a lot of that falls to the wayside in the editing room because it doesn't work or we just don't like it or whatever. It's not about because a lot of people and it's 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 just it's the name of the game. They're trying to get into the festivals. They're trying to get their stuff in front of people that want to pick it up to buy it. I don't give a shit. I'm releasing my own stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if if somebody's like, oh, it's too long to go into my festival, okay, don't don't play it. I don't care. I'm still going to tell a good story. Like I want to give people a full three-act sandwich, so to speak, if you will. And if, if you know, it's not plain to, because I couldn't care less what, frankly, what other filmmakers think or what, you know, the, the suits in Hollywood think or anything else. I care about what my audience thinks. Right. And I want to give them a good experience for their money. And, so that's what that comes down to. And I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, one of the things I was gonna I was gonna say about you know these these bigger films, these bigger horror films, where they have to pad stuff out, it's because they have to hit a certain uh, you know length of the movie. You have to get you know certain things put in there. You know, you have product placements. You have you know make sure that this this actor gets enough screen time and make sure that person does this. We have to be able to market it to China. Like all that. If you're an independent filmmaker, you don't have to worry about that, you know, but at the same time, you don't have quite the same budget that these bigger guys have either. So there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs. I will say one of my favorite shots 
of the film without um, because we don't want to we don't want to spoil anything about this. I don't even want to get into like you know know, plot details. Yeah, I don't want to even like maybe some general stuff, but um, the scene the uh, the montage scene on the cliff, (laughs) the way that was shot. um, Yeah. I was I was impressed with the way that was shot. I, I like that. Now, did you use a drone for that? That was actually a hundred percent drone. Yeah. Okay. What What happened there was, um, and I'll be completely honest with you, I did not actually direct that scene. That was a hundred percent second unit with uh, my DOP Paul. He directed the whole thing. I was AD that day actually because I can't fly the damn drone. <laughs> so. Um, so basically we just gave it a setup and we told Bob to do some insanity stuff, just some insane stuff on a cliff. And Paul really just knocked that out of the park. He completely killed it. Oh, it worked. It worked. Really well. Yeah. It, it looked so awesome. It really did. The and final cut. We had, that was actually the hardest scene in the movie to decide on a final cut for it. Because we had come up with about five versions of it before then, before we decided on the final, and Paul and I were like, it was just it was just too much fun. We were like, oh, we can make it better. We can make it better. It looks too cool. We can do better. And yeah, it ended up the the final ver. We finally decided on a final version about like two weeks before we were putting it together for the Blu-ray. So yeah, without giving anything away, I would I would qualify this by saying it was like Rocky meets the Lost Boys. That's exactly what we were going for, Patrick. That's perfect. That is perfect description. That is that was the entire thought process behind the science of making that shot. It those shots, it was Rocky meets the Lost Boys. That's perfect. That's and it exactly works it works so well. Especially like the scene directly uh, following that, and it's like, oh, well, maybe I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have done some things differently here. I mean, the goal, the goal with the movie, um, without spoiling it too much, really was to take some conventions that we've seen a lot of times and just spin them on their ear, and just really what you expect to happen is not what happens at all. Yeah, this is a, a, a good way of subverting expectations because there were a couple things. Obviously, you've got some of the tropes where, you know, you have these people that are like, oh, let me, oh, I found this. You know, what should I do with it? Oh, I know. I, I'll bring it inside. And who? Yeah. I don't think yeah. we should open this. Oh, you know what? Let's open this. It's, yeah, I mean, every horror movie, every horror movie, I don't care what horror movie it is, every horror movie starts with a stupid decision. Yeah. It's yeah. the truth. I mean, even even stuff that's considered a masterpiece, like The Exorcist. Don't um, play with the Ouija board. <laughs> don't play with the Ouija board. Like, that was your bad decision. <laughs> and then Captain Howdy mm-hmm. has a whole name. With it. So every horror movie has a bad decision. It's unavoidable, really, unless you're incredibly gifted on some level but everything everything starts with a bad decision even one last kill like don't get in the damn car don't <laughs> yeah you know i mean it, there's everything has a dumb decision 
So if there was a way for me to write around that, I would have. But this was like obviously the most direct course to get where we needed to be. But at the same time, I think this is how like real people would would you know would look at this. It's like you know, oh, we're just sitting around drinking, you know, digging holes. Hey, we found this thing. Let's take a look at it. I mean, that's a natural progression. You know, I suppose. Right. Your curiosity is going to get the best of you. You know, there's definitely a a a sense of you know, like oh, like if it was me, I'd be like, I would I would want to see what's inside, but I would want someone else to open it. But at the same time, it's like. I think you I found this ropes on that. <laughs> right. Oh, I think I found this uh this uh you know cursed artifact, you know, but it's like who do I call for this? Like do I call a museum? Do I call the police? Like the fire department? It's like uh mm-hmm. the Simpsons episode where Homer gets stuck in the third dimension. It's like, well, we can call Ned, he has a ladder. It's like <laughs> Yeah. I mean they were I mean, to be fair, like the second they pulled it out of the ground, they were screwed. And they knew it. Well, they didn't know it, but well, I knew it. Yeah, you knew it. I mean, you're the one writing it. I would hope you knew it. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, the smart choice would have been just been like, okay, that's really creepy. I'm just going to bury that again. <laughs> like, but, I mean, every horror movie has a stupid choice. That's, that's oh, yeah, yeah. That's that. sometimes more than one. Sometimes more than one. But I tried to limit this one to just the one. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that it uh, <clears throat> really shows the depth of. I'm trying to. I'm trying to like phrase this without giving too much away, but the depth of a mother's grief. You you know um, that was actually a really that was actually kind of personal for me. Um, and I think, and I think it kind of goes for everybody that like writes or directs or whatever. There has to be a personal spin on it that 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 hooks you as a writer. And basically, what happened was when I was uh, ten years old, my uh, younger brother actually passed on, and he was eight years old. So I've actually had that observance of what that looked like, and I kind of tapped into it a little bit to to take this emotionally take this story forward. And I mean, this, this, if my mom's listening to this, it's this, this one was for you, mom, because it was, it was, it was a painful, obviously very painful time for us, but I was able to hopefully turn this into something, you know, make art out of something horrible. Did you, but that, that, there was something very personal about that, that I wanted to show the, uh, the true pain behind something like that, that, that kind of loss. Did you find it to be cathartic in any way? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was some stuff in there that, um, particularly uh, Roland, yep, his helplessness um, of observing his wife in that way. Um, that's me, man. I, I that was that was me when I was eight. I, I just not having a clue of how to you know help. So there there was some definite catharsis in uh, the creation of the of the Roland character for me in that. So, Sorry, did this just get heavy? My bad. No, 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 no. That's it's it's fine. Um, you okay. know, I'm just 
that I was going to ask if this, you know, if there was something that, you know, you know, where this came from, what the what the vision was originally, um, because this is it's like you said, it's not a sequel to One Last Kill, but there's, you know, uh, uh, there are thematic elements to it that, you know, kind of tie the two together. You know, hence, and actual physical elements too. If yeah. you're if you've got a sharp eye and you've seen one last kill, you'll definitely see things mm-hmm. in the film that that definitely weave them together. And um, I do want to talk about the the performance that the actors turned in because it was really good. Like <laughs> having met, I think uh, most of these folks. On more than one occasion, it's uh, it's really cool to see how different they are on screen. But there are, uh, I think, some of the uh, the personalities sprinkled in a little bit to uh, some of the interactions that they have. Oh, for sure, for sure. There's there's a there's a level of chemistry, um, especially between Eric and Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, I that... and Erica specifically. You can't pay for it. You know what I mean? There's just like that that level of like we've been in this together for four years now. There's just that familiarity that just kind of brings it together, which is exactly why I cast Dan as husband, uh, Dan and Erica as husband and wife because they have that familiarity with each other. They have that shorthand because they've done they did a whole other movie with me already with One Last Kill. Right, and I thought that uh, I mean while they they did a, a nice job in the first one. I think they, they did a better job in this one, but I think that just comes from experience. For sure. There's some experience. And I also think that um, the box is a much more, how do I word this? Emotionally flexible piece. Yeah. I feel like one last kill. Um, the one, my one argument with the writing in that film was that it was, and it's like more, it's a critique of myself and, you know, just the delivery. It was really one note kind of experience. It's good. Don't get me wrong, but there's not a lot of emotional depth. That these characters go into with the exception of, uh, you know, the lead Carl, everyone else already has their agenda mapped out. So you don't get that. You get a lot of anger, but you don't get like, I mean, Dan and Erica are doing like emotional gymnastics in the box. Yeah. In comparison. You know, so I, I think that there was that too. Like I gave in the script, I gave them a lot more room to explore a, a wider spectrum um, emotionally, which I think was you know an important piece that I wanted to kind of build off of from coming off of one last kill. And I did like some of the um, some of like the little things where, again, I'm trying not to spoil it at all, where there are aspects of it where something can happen and there doesn't need to be a specific explanation for it because of the state of the other like when she drops the beer in the garage mm-hmm. and then you know when they had asked her to, to grab them a couple of beers and she drops the two in there but she brings something else out and they're like oh we don't have any more of these and it's like oh well you know you probably couldn't keep track because you're drunk anyways so (laughs) so there's really no need to explain that it's like oh well I don't know what just happened that was weird 
I'll just clean this up and nobody else needs to know about it and no one's going to ask about it because they're not going to be paying attention which I thought was a nice touch it's to me it's it's getting rid of that superfluous bullshit like we were just talking about mm-hmm. you, you, it's like do you address the broken beer bottles after you've broken them no they're broken they're gone obviously she came back out with two other beers she cleaned them up right like you have to you don't have to dance around that stuff and that's the filler kind of stuff where we were just talking about where people are trying to pad it to get to be a feature and it's unnecessary I think I think it's a much more streamlined kind of storytelling what we did with the box for sure I like the fact that you don't have to go right out and spoon feed the audience to let them know what's going on if you tell a good story people are going to know what's going on absolutely I agree so you know, while you're you're like, oh, well, I don't get this part, or I don't understand why this person did this. By the time the end of the movie rolls around, you're like, okay, now I get that, and I didn't need it, you know, force fed to me because mm-hmm. you know I'm a I'm a four year old child and I don't understand you know nuances and plot complexities. So <clears throat> I appreciated that uh, that part of the uh, of the film. It's tough, like trying to like talk about this without getting into specifics because um, we're trying to do spoiler free right we're trying to be spoiler free because we still I mean we're still a few days out from the premiere and whatnot I mean we can come back and we can do a deep dive on this oh yeah absolutely and we're certainly going to talk about it you know on Saturday oh yeah Uh, for sure Um, what I would um, what I would say though is my style of, of writing and directing is you, you said you appreciate not being spoon fed. Well, so do I. Mm-hmm. As an audience goer, like I don't want, and I feel like horror, aside from like the blockbuster popcorn stuff, horror is a huge, huge um, offender for this. It, it, this the, they lay it all out for you. They they lay it all out for you in the first half hour. The plot never gets. There's no more complexity. There's no there's no layering of, of your storytelling. It's literally okay. We've got this one story beat. A perfect example, like um, the Nun, which I felt was an awful film, but it's it's literally just like that whole movie is just oh the Nun, super spooky, and that's it. That's that's all you get, and that's pretty much what Hollywood horror is for the most part. I I, I really try to live by the idea that my our audience is smarter than people give them credit for. In most films, and I feel like most people that watch them appreciate that, and I feel that's important to me that I don't spoon feed, spoon feed everyone every plot detail right away. Yeah, and I I agree with that because if you're just if you're being told everything that's going on in the movie, mm-hmm. you're not. You, how do you enjoy something like that? Like I, there, I do. I don't know. <laughs> there has to be some kind of mystery to the things, and there has to be... Like, I've always felt that, you know, the person who did it best is probably Lovecraft, because a lot of the creatures that, you know, he talks about can't be described, because if you look at them, you go insane. And so you're trying to come up with your own definition as to what is this creature, what is this, you know, because as soon as you name 
or show whatever the monster is, it's either going to work or it's not going to work for other people. You know, <clears throat> if you're a you know a big burly guy and you know home invasion movies don't scare you, then you know showing that the person you know rattling around in the walls is just some guy, well then you're not going to be scared. But if it turns out it's some sort of malevolent spirit, oh, that's a lot harder to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really plays to a... Um, there, there's... there To me, there's, there's two types of fear. There's your specific fears, like if you're if you have tryptophobia or you're arachnophobic mm-hmm. or... You know, that that's not really something that um, I feel like it's very dangerous to play with in films because you're only going to really speak to a specific audience. Right. But if you create an air of question, of uncertainty, uh, you will eventually evoke some dread out of people. There will be some anxiousness to like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? It. it but you have to, there's a dance there. You have to be very, very careful about how you approach that. And you have to keep, if, if the box, if I would say anything, it's a movie that keeps you consistently off balance. You yeah. never know what's coming around the corner. I, I agree to that. That that sounds right. And I mean, once you, once you catch that, ta- once you weave this tapestry, when you finally do deliver what it is, it doesn't matter because the audience is already hooked. Right. They're already scared out of their damn. Well, not maybe not scared out of their damn minds, but they're definitely already like, "Oh my god," <laughs> you know. And that's why I approached some of the things in the film that I did the way that I did, and didn't say it, and didn't show my hand. Because I mean, you get you know little glimpses of things, and you get some clues, but you don't see anything until you know the very end. <laughs> and at that point. You know, it doesn't matter what you thought. And I, I'm i going to say that the, the makeup and special effects work were uh, very well done in this as well. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of... Um, I would say, like, we were in pre-production for about six months. Um, one month of that was actual rehearsals. Five months of it was the makeup stuff. So... <laughs> yeah, and that, that, final, that final shot... Um, I'm trying to say it without without like spoiling because it was sort of spoiled for me. Um, not really, but um, I'm trying to say it. It's one thing when you you see like makeup and prosthetics and special effects work, and you're like, oh, that's really well done. But if you know the person that is the subject and you don't recognize them. <clears throat> That to me is a win. Yeah, and I was. I think like, I know. I know who you're talking about. Man. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a trooper. We'll just put it that way. She she let us put her through some um, some pretty rancid hell to get her to look like that. <laughs> yeah, and it it worked. It worked really well. Uh, and the next time I see her, I will have to uh, make sure I I uh, impress that upon her, like. It, it it worked. You, you done good. It was it was effective. It was definitely effective. Yeah. Um, and especially, I had made a conscious decision. Um, not 
rather late in the post-production process. I, I had made the conscious decision that I never wanted you to see her talk. Not that there was any fault of hers in her performance or anything, but I felt like if her voice was disembodied and she didn't speak, it created even more of a what is going on here kind of vibe. Yeah. It creates even more unsettlingness to it, if you will. So, yeah, I think I think that was also part of it. And, I mean, A-plus to uh, Tegan Mendel, who did all of that voiceover work and did a lot of um, some of our B-real stuff to for, to play Chrissy, the child, because she did an incredible job with, some, with a lot of that voiceover stuff. So, Yeah, it's definitely one of these films where, you know, you see one and then you see the next one and you're like, okay, now I need to watch both of these back-to-back, rewatch them and, like, watch for little clues, watch for, you know, subtleties and things like that that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't always get from lower-budget independent filmmakers. You know, no. usually it's like, let's just tell this quick standalone story. You know, it's a it's a six-minute short and we're good. But now with, with the two of these together, it's... You know, because of the connections between them, and I'm very interested to see what you do with the next one as well, um, <clears throat> for many different reasons. Um, <laughs> but we will, uh, you know, we'll see how the story kind of all wraps up, and and uh, you know, you you can step back and see the whole picture. So yes. yes. The the goal for me with the ties that bind was I, it, and really a lot of it, it it's touching it's touching on notes that i think are familiar to people and important there's there's loss there's family there's um the things that can rip families apart i mean one last kill it was a parable for um, addiction mm-hmm. uh, box it's definitely uh the pro the grief process um there's, there's, it's, there's, it's very, the horror in my films is very rooted in reality, no matter how far out of reality we may actually go. It'll always stay in that, because it's really like the true monsters are always going to be people. And yeah. the real horror will always be delivered by people. And to me, like keeping it centered on that is the most important thing. And that's really what the Ties of Vine is all about. No matter where we go with whatever films are involved, it'll always be rooted in those kinds of horrors. And I think that is the best type of horror. If it's something that somebody can relate to and you know look at something a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it, it, it's interesting. Like um, three, three, four years ago, now, when when we were first dancing around with One Last Kill, and I told, I told my guys, I was like. If we hook them with with one last kill, if if we got them in that very real setting, for the most part, I mean, not to spoil anything for anybody, yeah, for the most part, very real setting. If we get them with that, and then we just get it progressively to be so far out of reality, but still keeping that core concept to our creative mythos, we're gonna scare the absolute shit out of. Can I swear? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to scare the absolute shit out of people. And so far, so good. So far, so good. I'm, ha- I'm happy so far. 
Yeah, I would say you've done really well. Um, like I said, I've seen a lot of independent uh, horror films, and there are times where people have a plot line that hinges on something that it's just so wrong and makes no sense. And this is something that would take a 10-second Google search to fix. It's like you hinged your entire mythology on something that is easily fact-checked and easily, like, wrong. Like, you, I don't understand how you could... Pot, like, nobody on set was like, hey, these two things don't go together. Like, combining mythologies. If you were well, like... Oh yes, Jesus is the uh, the the god of the sun in Greek mythology. It's like, uh, yeah, it's no, they really like, no, <laughs> but like something well, like that. Like, how do you? I know it's low budget, but everyone has a phone and it only takes two seconds to Google. Well, the thing, the thing about um, us or me, I should say, actually, and um, you know, my creative team in general. Erica, Dan, you know, the guys that make the props, do the hair and makeup. We research extensively, extensively about just about every little detail of everything. I would say for the ties that bind as a whole, um, I have about a thousand pages of mythology written mm-hmm. at home as, as like a reference Bible. Like, no, I can't do this. Yes, I can do that. Like, like honestly, like a thousand pages. Oh, I'm, uh, uh, I believe it. But what what I'm trying, what I tried to do more so with more so with the box of Lamont's Hill, but really what I'm trying to do is harken back to a different kind of storytelling, very um, gothic kind of horror, even though it's in a very modernized setting, and a lot of that is researching like old ancient myths and horrors from the time a, a time far far in the past kind of taking it back old school like um for one last kill i got a lot of comparisons to like some very contemporary films like fight club henry portrait of the serial killer i was like nah man let's talk jekyll and mr hyde <laughs> and people just kind of sit back and go wait what and then they think about it for a second like holy shit it is like that's that's to me like there's there's a there's something lost in modern storytelling and trying to be too homogenized and too off your center and just having a very general like you're saying easily fact searchable plot hinge like and it, it just ruins it. Right. I wanted something deep. <laughs> I wanted something that we had to dig deep for and find and yeah. Yeah and if you can find something because there's something that's really you know unsettling and something that's just off about you know like these older you know the things that are going through my mind it's like you know stuff like the witch you know gothic horror stuff like that where there's this force that you just you can't you can't withstand them you know even to a lesser extent like evil dead you know, there's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. it's the isolation and it's the the uh, the fact that there's this force and it can't be bargained with or reasoned with. Like you have to just, you know, do your best, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's 
you're right there, man. You're, you're right with where we where we think every day when we're when we're like coming up with this stuff. That's 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 the ticket. It's it's got to be unstoppable. It, it can't have an end. What's scary about a happy ending? Right. <laughs> it, what's yeah? It's like something that's easily defeatable, but you know, like a, a you know, like a, a repeating. Uh, entity like you know Jason or Freddy, you know something that gets killed over and over and over, but just keeps coming back again and again and again. And every time it's like, oh, this is the only way to beat it. And then you do that, and it's like, oh, Part Six came out. And... I mean, but you look at those and you look at those franchise films, and I love them. Don't get me wrong, I love every pretty much every every one of those franchises. But you look at those franchise franchise films, and like after like Part Three, it just kind of becomes a gag. Yeah, you know. And it's unavoidable to become a gag because obviously he can't be stopped, but you're still going to try. And it just doesn't come across as very menacing. It's basically they can't be stopped, but they can be temporarily inconvenienced. By Pretty the much. The film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> it's when people try to delve too deeply into a mythology or a, a storyline that wasn't meant to be delved into. Uh, I just talked about this last week on Throwdown Thursday about... Um, Michael Myers, like after the second one, like mm. the mythology and the stories got ridiculous. You know, the cult of Thorn, like what the hell is that? Like that's oh, yeah. it, it was dumb. And then you know, Rob Zombie tried rebooting it, and then his second movie was off the wall with like all the the ghosts of Sherry Moon Zombie and everything, and like uh, only Michael the white can horse, see it. Man. But... Like, uh, and no. then. I don't know. I did. I did like the one that came out last year. That kind of just picked up where number two left off. You know. Yeah. I, I actually, people's... you know, a lot of people give that movie shit, but I actually loved it. I loved Halloween 2018. I yeah. thought I thought it was fun, and I thought it um, was a proper extension of what John Carpenter initially intended. Yeah, which, because look, he's, the, he's the granddaddy. He's he's the master. If he didn't want any of those, I don't really count. <laughs> right, and, and you get to the point where it's, you know, you're trying to tell a cohesive story where it's the, you know, it's the same character in, in the same universe, but now you've got, you know, different actor pr- playing the, the lead, the lead, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, which you saw in Friday the 13th and Halloween. I mean, granted, Nightmare on Elm Street's always Robert Englund, but you saw so many different, uh, you know, guys playing Michael Myers and so many different people playing um, uh, what's his name there? Uh, Jason. <clears throat> and in addition to that, not only do you have different actors who are bringing different aspects of their own personality and their own take on the character, you have different writers, you have different directors, you know, the casts are all different. So you're straying further and further away from this vision. Like, this is John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. This is what they thought. And they didn't get have a backstory because they didn't want them to have a backstory because it's scarier without it. And then you add in all this other weird stuff because you're trying to take it in a, a new and weird direction. Uh, it it doesn't work for me. No, it, it really doesn't work for me either, pal. I'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that. To me, I, with the exception of Friday the 13th, because I love them all because they're just fun. But there's only one of of the franchise films. There's only one sequel that actually to me, got it 100% right, and that's Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. Which is they, the one. Built, they, they came back 
they brought it full circle. They brought back the original protagonist. They flipped that on its ear. In case there's someone living under a rock out there that hasn't seen this, I'm not going to spoil that for you. But they totally turned that on its ear. They expanded on their mythology without taking anything away from the original. And they gave him a very fitting ending. I agree. That should have been the end of the series, in my opinion. But it made money, so therefore well, yeah. it has to be more. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's Hollywood for you. They're not there to tell a story. They're to make money. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, and very rarely do the two, the two of those things uh, work together. Effect. Yeah, A twenty four is the only ones that I think are really trying to trying to do something genuine. You know, as far as Hollywood films go, everybody else seems to. And I mean, that's not to say I enjoy all of A twenty four's films. I just, right. as a production company, I see what they're trying to do and I appreciate it, even if sometimes I don't agree with everything that they put out. As far as, like, the quality level. I would say that if, in my opinion, the only slasher series really that uh, maintains its consistency and, you know, knows that it's going over the top would be the Hatchet series. Hell, yes. Because... I, it, all four of them, man. Yeah. Um, I am an Adam Green fanboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, he's the one involved with all of them, you know, directed them all. And you have he didn't direct three, part three. three, but he, he produced part three, and right? But he's involved with with all of them. Oh yeah, intimately. And, and it's and it's Kane Hodder throughout the entire series. There's a real consistency to it, right? They changed up the formula like just a hair with Victor Crowley. Like like you can tell that when um like the mannerisms in Kane Hodder and stuff. Like he got a lot more animalistic. He was a lot faster. He was a lot angrier, almost like, and he was almost like a lion, like stalking prey. Like, like the scene when the um, with the girl that was like trying to crawl back to the uh, airplane. Yep. And he's just pacing back and forth, like taunting them to come try and save her. Like, like little stuff like that. It's all good things. Like Victor Crowley, it felt like Victor Crowley got a personality. Yeah, even more so. But, uh... I think that's a, a pretty good spot to stop. Uh, we'll take a uh, quick break. And uh, before we go, James, uh, where can folks find your work And uh, other than the, uh, the film festival on, on Saturday? Well, later on this year, but hopefully before the end of the year, I should say, we will be launching our first, um, first and only uh, direct sales site. It came from the 508.com. That's not quite there yet. But if you contact us through it came from the 508 at gmail.com or directly message us on our Facebook page, we can um, get some stuff out to you. We're having a little bit of a difficulty getting the online stuff set up, but it is coming. So it came from the 508.com will be coming later this year. Awesome. And obviously, you know, you have the Facebook page. Um, oh, yeah. Facebook and, page, Instagram. And we post this stuff all the time, too, you know, because we're always sharing your stuff. Because I love you. No. <laughs> well, the feeling's mutual, darling. Um, um. <coughs> oh, I can't talk much. Uh, so, yeah, we'll uh, take a quick break, and then uh, we'll be right back with some uh, coming attractions. Does the fact that Halloween is over got you down? Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Then you need the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. 
Saturday, November 9th at 6 p.m. at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. Ah! Sudden ubiquitous George Michael Christmas anthem. If, like us, you live the horror life all year long and you're already tired of the inundation of holiday cheer, then join us as BMG Events, in cooperation with It Came From The 508 production, will be showcasing local horror films, including the world premiere of It Came From The 508's The Box. In between showings, you may enjoy the many games Platinum City Gaming has to offer, purchase one of their horror-themed drinks at the bar, Get some treats at the concession stand, check out the amazing vendors that are bringing you spooky products, and enter the raffles to win some creeptastic prizes. Admission is $10 at the door or through the link on the Facebook event page. And you must be 18 or older to attend. And remember... ...is to go to the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Saturday and Sunday, November 16th and 17th at the Sheraton Hotel in Framingham, Massachusetts, it's Super Megafest, featuring the 40th reunion of the cast of The Warriors, WWE Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, John Connor from Terminator 2, Edward Furlong, and appearing Saturday only, Baywatch's Carmen Electra, as well as Who's the Boss star, Tony Danza. Also in attendance will be Comic Book Artists, the New England Horror Writers, Living Dead Press, Cosplayers, and more. For ticket information, guest availability, and the full schedule of events, including photo ops and panel discussions, go to newenglandsupermegafest.com for all the details. conversation that I had with James because it pretty much cost me my voice. I am uh, straining fairly hard right now to even sound halfway decent. So um, yeah, I'm sure you heard the the coughing. I couldn't quite edit everything out, but I tried. I did my best. Please don't shout at me. Um, But yeah, uh, we will be, uh, both of us, James and I, uh, will both be at um, the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival this Saturday, November 9th. If you are in the Taunton area or you are, uh, you know, 
maybe not in the area, but you're very interested in coming to the event, please do so. Um, it starts at six o'clock. Like I said, like you know, James said, there's ten films. There's going to be a bunch of trailers. There's games. There's all kinds of awesome stuff. You heard the uh, ad that uh, that I just ran for the the new uh, post Halloween uh, Dead of Autumn ad. So <clears throat> do yourself a favor if you can make it. Come down. It's going to be a really good time. There's going to be some amazing vendors, amazing people that you know are just in the in the uh, creative industries. We'll call it. Because it's not just filmmakers. There's a lot of people who do a lot of different things, be it cosplay or, um, you know, <sighs> special effects. Like, it's not, again, it's not just the, the, the film industry, but there's a lot of very talented people who are going to be there. And, you know, come meet some actors, meet some directors, meet some writers, meet some creative people. You know, it's it's going to be an awesome time. Um. So there's going to be that, and then uh, the following week, next week, the 16th and 17th, we will, of course, as you heard from the other ad, uh, we will be at Super Mega Fest, which is going to be so great. I, I really can't, I can't wait for Super Mega Fest because uh, Ashes and I are actually, uh, we just bought VIP tickets today for the VIP uh, after party with the Warriors, so it's going to be super cool. I'm... Uh, I'm very excited to see how my dad reacts to meeting these guys. Luckily for me, I've met most of the guys that are going to be there. Uh, there's a few people I haven't met. i got to make sure I have them sign my uh, my poster that has uh, four or five signatures on it already. But I'm going to have everybody else sign it too because I'm very, very excited for this. But uh, I think I'm most excited to see you know, my dad react to seeing the Warriors because he's the one who introduced us to the Warriors. And if you are a fan of the Warriors, um, that movie is something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. And we will actually be covering that on Throwdown Thursday uh, next week. This week's episode, however, uh, we're gonna, we're very lucky to be joined by Corey from uh, from the Canopy, uh, who we just uh, did a guest spot on on uh, his show with him and uh, Evil Corny a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's going to be joining us. We're actually recording this. Uh, this week, so this week's episode that'll come out in two days, um, <clears throat> it is going to be on Harriet Tubman. Uh, we're finally getting around to our uh, our historical figures and uh, the difference between the story that we know and the story that pop culture shows us. And in the case of Harriet Tubman, there is a lot more than what you were taught in school. So definitely tune in for that one because that's going to be a really awesome episode. And I had a lot of fun researching this. I learned a lot, and that's the thing that um, I find to be uh, the the most advantageous, and the thing that uh, really I look forward to when when doing these types of episodes is learning stuff and finding out new things that I didn't know before. Uh, as far as this show goes, um, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be joined by uh, Tim Jones of the Sour Grapes comic, who we've uh, we've chatted with before, and he does an awesome job with his comic definitely check it out uh it's sour grapes by tim jones it's fantastic it, it there's a lot of sarcasm in it uh which is obviously right up my alley a lot of wordplay um definitely check it out uh do yourself a favor it's it'll fast become one of your favorite comic strips um we'll also be joined by ian wallace of uh amalgamania and we will also be joined 
by uh, Adam Gumby from East Coast Games. Uh, East Coast Gaming. Sorry, I'm I'm fading fast here. By the time I, I we got home, it's it's very late right now. So I'm trying to remember everybody off the top of my head. But we are going to be discussing The Mandalorian. We're going to be giving you our thoughts and predictions on the Disney Plus show that will drop the same day as that episode, November 12th. So be on the lookout for that next week because that one's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a little bit longer than our standard episode here. But uh, I think with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this episode up. But before I do, obviously, uh, because this is Shark Bites, I have to give you a shark fact. And uh, this week we're going to go with the fear of sharks because a lot of people are afraid of sharks. Uh, And the term for uh, the fear of sharks, the phobia of sharks, is Salachophobia. I'm not exactly sure the uh, pronunciation, but it's S-E-L-A-C-H-O-phobia. Salachophobia. It could be pronounced a number of different ways. I'll leave that up to you. And um, with that being said, just remember, here at Shark Bites, I am the host and I am the podcaster, but you are my channel.